So we're in week two in our, our sermon series, Christmas Messages. And last week, an elderly couple, uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth and a teenage girl, Mary, uh, unpacked for each of us a, a message about destiny. And remember that your destiny as a Jesus follower is to become more and more like him and bring him glory by doing all the good things he created and prepared in advance for you to do. Now, now take, take a minute to really think about and reflect on that. That's your destiny. And that's some crazy stuff, right? I mean, becoming more like Jesus, bringing glory to the God, the creator of the universe, and, and doing these things that, that God both created you for and prepared in advance for you to do. What a destiny you have as a Jesus follower. Amen? Amen. Hey, turn to at least three people. Look in the eye and say, I have an awesome destiny. And, and, and now look at them and say, you have an awesome destiny. And everybody look at me and say, <laughs> no. <laughs> say, where did your destiny go, Steve? All right. And, 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 and listen, the fallen quote from last week is true. All right. We are not permitted to choose the frame of our destiny, right? And our de- that frame is to become more like Jesus, right? Bring God glory and do the things he prepared for you to do. Uh, we don't get to choose the frame, but what we put inside that frame is ours. I love that quote. Uh, these two quotes are true as well. Your history is not your destiny. Some of you need to hear that, right? Because your history ain't been so good. Uh, your history is not your destiny. And, and, and this one is also true because at this very moment, destiny waits in the hand of God, shaping the still unshaping. There's still things God wants to shape in your life if you allow him to. And listen, 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 listen. When it comes to your destiny, Zachariah, Elizabeth, and Mary taught us that when it comes to your destiny, it's never too late and it's never too early. Amen? Amen. Destiny, it's never too late and it's never too early. Now here's where we're going with this message series we're in. As we celebrate Christmas and get to the end of the year. This morning we're going to talk about a message of obedience on Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. We're going to sing a bunch of Christmas songs and have a very, and it's honestly true, a very brief message. Our Christmas Eve service are always less than an hour and they're a really incredible time. And on Christmas Eve we're going to talk about a message about God and we're going to see some things about God that we see proclaimed in the first Christmas. And then next Sunday... Christmas Sunday, we're going we're gonna to talk about what is probably the most important message of Christmas, the message of salvation. I mean, when the angels lit up that sky that first Christmas night, what did they say? Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. You see, the reason that Jesus left the glories of heaven, put on human flesh, and entered the muck and mire of this world is to save you and I from our sins is so that you and I would not perish but have everlasting life. Our salvation, your salvation, is the reason for the season. Amen? 
And since we're talking about salvation, I, I think Christmas Sunday is the perfect time, a very appropriate time, uh, to have a baptism Sunday, right? Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave his guys this commission before he went back home to be with his Father in heaven. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So here's the deal. If you've not yet been baptized, immersed in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as he asks you to do, I say, what a great way to celebrate Christmas, right? To simply say yes to baptism. To stop debating it and simply say yes to baptism. If you have any questions about it, on our website, we got some great material and here's the picture, which you can see if you go on our website and you, and, and you hit, hit the link um, that says what we're about, you'll see that we have a, a, our baptism statement, a personal baptism study. We also printed some of those up for you. Um, if you have children, you know, younger children, we have a little booklet you can go through with them so that you know, if they're like 10 years old, they may forget what they're, I don't remember anything when I was 10 years old, to be honest. You know, they may forget what they were thinking and why they did it, but then they have this book. And they can say, wait a second, that's my handwriting. And I knew what I was doing, so the enemy can't mess with their head, right? Oh, you didn't know what you're doing. You were too young, and you did it because your mom and dad wanted you to, and they can see the reason why they did it, right? Um, or you can talk to me if you have any questions about this. And uh, you don't have to wait till next Sunday. Don't get me wrong. You know, matter of fact, I have two young men, uh, a 12 and a 14-year-old, uh, two young men who are being baptized in the service, right? So I want you to know that the, uh, you know, it's nice and warm today in the baptistry. I got a perfect temperature, and it's 24-7, right? It's not like you have to wait for a baptism Sunday, but this just kind of makes us think about it. But again, I, we got two young men making that decision today. Um, next Sunday is going to be awesome, okay? This morning, like I said, we're going we're gonna to look, actually look at a guy who doesn't get a lot of... Uh, screen time necessarily or talked about uh, on Christmas is uh, the adopted dad of God the son, Joseph. And, and he's going to teach us a message about obedience. And our text is Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And if you have your Bible, Bible app, you may want to open up to there and follow along. And, and this takes place after Mary came back from her visit with her cousin Elizabeth. You see, right after Gabriel left, Mary packed her bags and went to hang out with her cousin Elizabeth, who at the time was six months pregnant with uh, her son John the Baptist. And I love the picture Matthew paints of this. Rather, Luke paints of this. Um, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. This is Elizabeth talking to Mary as Mary arrives. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Why are we so honored that the Spirit of God would live in us, right? That's, that's a pretty big honor, right? When I heard your greeting, the baby, it, it was still in the womb, but it was a baby, right? That's counterculture today, but it was a baby. I believe it was a baby. I believe that life begins at conception, right? The baby in my womb jumped for joy. Uh, you are blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said. I, I love that last part, right? You are blessed, Mary, because you actually believed that the Lord would do what he said. Do you believe that? Mary stayed for about three months. It says probably to wait to see John the Baptist born. And Mary was like, oh my goodness, that is not going to be a party, right? That, that is crazy stuff. And wow, right? That's all I can say. I've, I've seen that happen before. And, uh, 
And when she turns back, that's where we see Joseph. And Joseph begins to proclaim this message about obedience. And so let's talk about that. Before we do, I just have to ask you a question. Do you believe that God has a word for you today? I mean, like, every time that you sit in a, a service, you listen to a podcast, you open your Bible, you read a devotional book, you, you listen to some worship music, or maybe just walk around in creation, God has a word for you, right? And I just want to encourage you to be open to whatever word God has for you today. Would you join me in prayer? God, we love you. God, thank you for this time of the year where we can focus in on Jesus and, and why he came. The whole world can begin to at least a little bit focus on him. And Father God, I pray that you would be with us. God, I, I know without a doubt that you have a word for everyone in this room. And even though I prepared this message and gone over it a bunch of times, I believe you still have a word for me. And God, I pray that we have ears to hear and eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. The mother, his mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And a Christ is a title, not a name. For years, even I've been a Christian at 19, I used to think that was like his last name, right? Like, I, I, if you had a name tag on Name Tag Sunday, like mine says Steve Malone, his would say Jesus Christ, and here's my mom, Joseph Christ, and Mary Christ, right? But it's, it's not his last name. I didn't know that for quite a while, to be honest. And, and uh, it's a title. It means anointed one. It means the Messiah, all right? And pledge, she was... She was pledged to be married, right? Remember last week we said it was a binding engagement, right? Legally binding. Now, how old do you think Joseph was? Now, we don't know, but how old do you think he was? Now, I did some research on this, and prior to 400 AD, most people thought that Joseph was in his late teens to early 20s. But then there became this shift around 400 AD. And I think the reason the shift happened was because around 400 AD, a uh, a teaching about Mary began to take root that, that Mary uh, had remained a virgin for her entire life. And, and uh, uh, the perpetual virginity of, of Mary. Um, but that is hard to square with passages like Mark 6.3 that says Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. Right? And, and, and so what happened to try to make it work is like, well, obviously Joseph was older and a widower, the tradition became, and he brought with him children from a previous marriage, all right? But I tend to believe Joseph was you know, in his late teens, early 20s. But before they came together, Matthew continues, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. You ever wonder how he found out? Like, did she tell him when she got back from visiting Elizabeth? I mean, was she starting to show and couldn't hide it anymore? And how did she start this extremely difficult conversation, right? You ever have it start one of those, right? You know you have to have it, and you don't even know how, what are the first words going to be that I have to say in this very tough conversation? I mean, guys, put yourself in Joseph's sandals, right? How would you respond? I mean, he was no doubt looking forward to his wedding day, to bringing his wife home and starting her life and family together. Talk about being hit by a freight train. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize, you know, if I'm not the daddy, then somebody else is. 
You know, the woman I love, the woman I'm about to marry, she's been with another man. And Joseph, he is not buying this story at all. And I don't think I would either. You see, as far as he's concerned, Mary not only betrayed him, but had publicly humiliated him. And he had every right, according to the law of Moses, to drag her into the public square and have her stoned to death. But Scripture says that Moses was a, was a righteous man. You see, Joseph was not the kind of guy to strike out in anger or to man to pound the flesh. He was not the kind of guy to seek revenge. He was not the kind of guy to make decisions based solely on his own feelings and welfare and what was best for him. Now, he was the type of guy that thought of others who did the right thing, even when the right thing was a hard thing. And I, as I always say, you know, the, the right thing and the easy thing are seldom the same thing, right? And when it happens, hey, praise God, throw a party. But a lot of times it's, it's not. Bottom line, he was unwilling to hurt Mary or to shame her publicly, so he decided to divorce her quietly. Right? No need to drag a bunch of people into this mess who didn't need to know. Matthew continues, as he considered this, he's thinking about this, what he should do. And, you know, uh, I don't, did he get advice from anybody? Did he talk to his mom, his dad, or friends? As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. That's crazy. Apparently, God knew what Joseph was thinking. You know what that means, right? He knows what you're thinking, what I'm thinking, all the time. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, Joseph, son of David. The angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Joseph, I know you're hurt. And Joseph, I, I know you're afraid that, that if, if Mary did this now, she did this to you one time, chances are that Mary will do this to you again. But Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she'll have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And, and, and the angel's telling Joseph three things. Number one, hey, Mary's not, she's not been unfaithful to you. She's telling you the truth. The child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you can take her as your wife. And, and number two, he's saying, you don't need to wait for that ultrasound between the 18th and 22nd week to figure out what the gender is. Mary is going to have a boy. And you as his adopted father, you get to give him his name. And you're to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And number three, Joseph, he's not going to be an ordinary child. In fact, he will save the people from their sins. Matthew continues, all this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. Now that was, the prophet would be Isaiah, right? It's like 700 years, right? But, but know that God always keeps his promises, but it always unfolds in his timing, not ours, Right? But he will always do what he said. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Which is both insane and overwhelming. (laughs) The God who breathes out stars and holds oceans in his hands. God is with us. God is with me. God is with you. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relationship, relations with her until her son was born and Joseph named him Jesus. So I, I think they fast forward their wedding a little bit. And Joseph and Mary did not have sexual relations until Jesus was born. That's pretty commendable, right? Many people, they can't wait until they're married to have sexual relations. And they, they got married and they, they still waited. 
When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And, and you know what I, I find interesting about Joseph? That, that everything we know about Joseph is based on what he did and not what he said. Because Joseph is never quoted one time in Scripture. I mean, everybody else in the Christmas story, Mary, Elizabeth, Zachariah, the angels, the wise men, the shepherds, Herod, and Bo the donkey, right? If you saw that movie, that's a great movie. <laughs> I, I really think Bo was there, I'm just telling you. If you saw the movie start, Bo was there. I, I'm convinced of it, right? But Joseph, not one single line in the entire story. We see God speaking to Joseph three or four times, and rather than listening to Joseph talk, we see Joseph act. We see him do. We watch him respond to Mary's confession about her pregnancy. We see him respond to the angel appearing to him in a dream. We see what he does when he wakes up from that dream. And it's in what Joseph does that we see this powerful message of obedience. And we see it lived out loud. And listen, obedience is not a four-letter word. It's actually nine letters, right? You want to count? It, 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 and, and my goal and God's intent is that we will walk out of this room today wanting to be a little bit more like Joseph, wanting to walk a little bit more in obedience. First thing we learn from Joseph about obedience is, is that at times it can be embarrassing. You see, he was, he was obedient to God even though it was embarrassing to his reputation. I mean, if, if he didn't buy Joseph, I mean, Mary's story, about her pregnancy, you think anybody would? Joseph, I, I can't believe that you didn't wait till you were married. Joseph, I, I cannot believe that you would marry someone like Mary, someone who's been unfaithful to you. And listen, that obedience would have long-term consequences that would be embarrassing. In fact, several years later, when Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown, to teach a bunch of hecklers in the crowd, shout out, we read this in John 8 verse 19. Hey, Jesus, where's your father? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> you don't even know who he is. Right? 33 years later, and they're still talking about it. Sometimes obeying God can be embarrassing. I mean, think about Joshua, right? Great military leader. Walking around walls of a city, blowing a trumpet. That had to look pretty silly. Hey, Joshua, do you take requests, right? And how about Noah building an ark in his front yard in the middle of a desert when there's never been rain before? Embarrassing, especially to his kids. Dad, that ark in the front yard is killing our social life. Can we just get rid of it? You're embarrassing me, Dad. Sometimes dads like to do that. I know I like to do that and purposely. Go ahead in public and see what you can do to embarrass your kids because it's what you do. And obedience can be embarrassing for us as well, right? It can be embarrassing to not do certain things or go certain places because of your faith. It can be embarrassing to proclaim your faith and your belief in what the Bible says about certain issues. You really believe that God created the world in seven days? By the way, I, I don't believe that. I believe it created the world in six days and rested on day seven. Had you for a minute, didn't I? They're like, we're out of here, heathen. <laughs> You really believe what the Bible says about sexuality and about life beginning at conception? Come on, it's the 21st century. Maple Grove, people are like grass and their beauty is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God lasts forever. 
It can be embarrassing to admit you're wrong, to ask for forgiveness, to own your mistakes, to confess your sins, to turn the other cheek, to go the second mile. Obedience can be embarrassing. Sometimes it can be inconvenient. I mean, it's inconvenient to Joseph to move up his wedding plans and begin his marriage with a pregnant wife and a child on the way. Great! <laughs> now I need a bigger house and a bigger paycheck. And this inconvenience in obeying God, it didn't end at the manger. In Matthew chapter 2, God says to Joseph, hey, get up and flee to Egypt. Hey, but my business is here and my home is here. But he got up and went. And then later on, God says, hey, Joseph, it's time to get up and you need to leave Egypt. Seriously, God? We're finally settled in? Uh, Mary's got a great group of friends. I, I got a good job. Jesus has a great school. He loves his baseball coach. And, and then when they go back and he's about to make his deposit on an on a apartment in Judea, God says, hey, by the way, you need to move to Nazareth now. And listen, Nazareth, unlike Charlottesville, right, was not voted the most happiest place to live. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yet Joseph got up and went. We learn from Joseph that it's, it can be inconvenient to follow God. It was inconvenient for Abraham, right, at 75 to leave everything. It was inconvenient for Jeremiah to preach a message someone wanted to hear. It was inconvenient for Esther to walk and go before the king, right? Inconvenient. It was inconvenient for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and the rest to leave everything to, to follow Jesus. And it can be inconvenient for us to obey God and to give up your plans. Maybe you plan to go to a movie, go to a vacation, to watch that game, but then someone needed your help. It could be inconvenient to, to give up a, a night of the week to join a life group, to do life together. And maybe you don't need it, but maybe that person in life group that you're going to meet needs you to be there for them. It can be inconvenient, right, to serve at Maple Grove, right? To not just show up at 10.15 or 10.20 or 10.30 or 10.40, you know, but to show up earlier to work in children's ministry or somewhere else or do some things during the week. It can be inconvenient to serve God. In 1987, God decided to make my obedience to him pretty inconvenient. I had nine and a half years in the Navy. I was ready to, to re-enlist and collect a you know, $50,000 bonus. Uh, my plans were, hey, you know what? I went in at 18. I'm going to retire at 38. Then I'm going to go to Bible college, healthcare forever. I'm going to have a pension, God. This is a really good script. God said, nice script, Steve. But I got a different one for you, right? And, and, and uh, it's a good one. Yeah, but it, it was different. It was inconvenient to sell everything. See, obeying God does not always fit neatly and conveniently into our plans, our agenda, and our schedule. Let's see, God. Um, December 16th, 2022, that Friday at 4 p.m., and it is a Friday, I looked it up. Okay. Let's get together. But call first in case something else has come up. Next, obedience doesn't always make sense. A virgin giving birth, that doesn't make sense. Getting married, but waiting to have sexual relationship with your wife, that doesn't make sense. Making all those moves that God would ask him to do, that didn't make sense. God asks his people to do things that don't make sense. A shepherd boy to face a giant. Moses to leave the desert at age 80. I bet he was thinking, you know, 
Wouldn't 50 been a little bit better, God? Could that burning bush showed up about 30 years ago? You had to wait till I'm 80? Getting and facing an army of 100,000 with 300 men? That's not convenient. James, John, Andrew, Peter, leaving their business and family to follow a guy they just met? It doesn't make sense. For a human perspective, a lot of what God asks us to do doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to pray for your enemies, to bless those who curse you, to forgive those who hurt you, to put the needs of others before your own, to give your offer to God even when you're having a hard time paying your own bills, to join a life group when your schedule's already overloaded, to become great by being the servant of all. And it, and it may, may not make sense that when everyone in the New Testament surrendered to Christ, that they were baptized, and that was part of what they did. It may not make sense, but what does that have to do with anything? But it's what God said. You see, sometimes what God says to do, it just doesn't make sense. You know, we had a saying when I was in the Navy on the submarine, like I was a nuke, we operate the reactor, and there's lots of drills and rules and ways things are done. And one of our sayings was always, ours is not the reason why. Ours is but the verbatim comply, right? It's like, hey, hey, you're told to do this. It says if the reactor scrams, you do this. Or the steam leak, you do this. Don't reason why. Just do what you're told. In a lot of ways, that's God, right? I'm not saying we can't know why. But guess what? Knowing why doesn't change the fact that God is right in whatever he says. Amen? Amen. Being usually comes with a price. Again, Joseph paid a lot of prices. And I really think, you know, you know he had that at home in a business. And every time God said, hey, you know what? It's time to run another U-Haul, right? There was, a, there was a price to pay. And throughout scriptures, we see people paying a price to be obedient to God. Hebrews 11, right? We kind of looked at that a, a several weeks ago, right? People pay, it says that they were tortured. They, their bodies were cut open with whips, that they were chained in prison, that they were cut in half. Like real people like us, right? They had dreams and hopes. They had husbands and wives. They were sons and daughters. They had children, and they paid a price because they wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus made it clear that there is a price. You know, in Mark 8, he says this. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And and he didn't just talk about obedience, he modeled it. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, this is God, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearances of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Obedience often comes with a price. And, you know, what, what price are you paying or are you paying a price for your obedience? You know, maybe the price to, to pay for your obedience is that, that, that you'll have to break off a relationship that you know is not God-honoring. It may mean that you have to sit home or sit in your dorm alone because you're not going to do those things on Friday and Saturday night that everybody else is doing, and you're just all, kind of all by yourself. It, 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 obedience to price may be that you don't have as much money to 
spend on what you want to do because you stopped making excuses and started, decided to honor God with what God has blessed you with. comes with a price. If you decide to get serious about praying for one, Lord, show me one person that I can share your love with today. And we really get serious that God wants every one of us to find somebody that needs the love of Jesus in their life. And that becomes a driving force in our life. There's going to be a price to pay, right? Because that person is lost. They're going to be messy, right? I mean, you know, when you catch a fish, they're not they're not at all cooked and grilled with the lemon wedge on it, right? There, there's, there, 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 there's some nastiness, right? And, and, and there's a price to pay. But, but I, I tend to think that if we were to talk to Abraham and David and Esther and, and Ruth and Paul and Joseph and the others, hey, was it worth it? What do you think their answer would be? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you better believe it was. And lastly, obedience will always be rewarded. I mean, think about it. Because of his obedience, Joseph got to hold God. He, he got the, don't you love when you stick your finger in front of a little baby and the baby does that? Imagine that being God. He got to hold God. He got to carry God. He got to teach God how to swing a hammer and and to cut a board. And none of that would have happened if he did not obey. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we, we see this principle of God rewarding obedience clearly laid out. He says this, walk in obedience to all the Lord your God has commanded you. Why? So that you may live. You may live a full and satisfying life and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. you live. Obedience is always rewarded. In Luke 11, Jesus is teaching and someone shouts out from the crowd because they're just moved by his teaching. Blessed is the woman who gave you birth. Jesus said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. You see, your obedience will always be rewarded. And I want to talk about five really good rewards that should motivate me and you to want to be obedient. Number one, being used by God. I mean, that's why I was able to use Joseph and Abraham and Moses and Gideon and Mary and the rest. I mean, can you think of something more rewarding than being used by God? I mean, that, that, to know that God used you to do something, that's, that's really an incredible thing. You know, I was watching a football game yesterday. I, even know, I can't remember what game it was. And some, some guy made a catch, got a first down. It's just, they said it was the second catch of the year. And his third catch in his career. But he got a first down. And when that dude got that first down, he jumped up. He spun that ball around, did a little dance, right? Walked off to the sidelines. Why? Because he just got used for his team. He wasn't just on the sidelines anymore. He was used for his team. And when God uses you, you're going to spin that ball around and do a little dance when you walk to the sideline. Nothing better than being used by God. Amen? Amen. Number two, another word is knowing God more. John says this. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. See, there, there's something about obeying God 
that helps us know God more. Like doing what he says and living how he desires, it just, it just helps us to, to know him. It helps us to get him. Oh, I get you now. I get you now. What a reward to know God more. And, we, and he's so big and great, there's always more to know. Another reward is pleasing God. You know, and, and a lot of us, we need to return that in a simple childlike faith. You know the cool thing about little children? There's a lot of cool things. But one is, they just want to please you, right? I mean, whenever our, our four grandkids come in from, from Indiana, right, you know, they come with notes and pictures, right? I mean, we don't have enough room on our refrigerator, right? I got a note for you. I got a drawing for you. I got a present for you, right? They just want to give you stuff. They just want to please you. We should want to please God. The same way, right? We, God, I just want to please you. And the word says, right, Hebrews eleven six: 6, without faith, without obedience, it's impossible to please God. But what a reward. What, how cool to know that you just please God, right? I mean, if you're... If you're that grandparent or parent who's got one of those things and a child has pleased you, you know how you feel, you get to make God feel the same way. I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, number four, confidence of where you stand with God. And I'm not saying that, that obedience that, you know, that you're in and out of this confidence or where you, you're in and out of with God standing, but what I'm saying is that, and, and you, this is so important, and you need to hear, hear this. It is hard for us to be confident in where we stand with God if we are not obeying God. <laughs> it's hard for us to be confident where we stand with God when we're not obeying him. Like, like when we know, when we know we're disobeying what God told us to do or not to do, right? How confident are we in where we stand with God? But listen, when, when, we, when we know, when we know that we are doing the best we can to obey God, there's a confidence that comes with that. Hey, I'm not perfect, but you know what? Me and God, we're good. We're okay. God knows me. God loves me. God's for me. God's beside me. And I got to tell you from personal experience, when I'm living in disobedience, I don't feel very confident where I stand with God. But what a reward to know, hey, we're good. <laughs> And when that sky cracks open, I'm not going to hide under some rock. I'm going to run down and jump into his arms. Amen? And then finally, the blessings of God are a reward. Blessed rather those who hear the word and obey it. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I'm about done, but understand, there's a joy that comes with obedience. There's a freedom that comes with obedience. There's a peace that comes with obedience. There's a, a blessing that comes with obedience, right? When people obey God, Nahum the leper, right? When he obeyed God and dipped seven times in the Jordan, what happened? He had the blessing of his leprosy removed. There's blessings that come with obedience. There's protection that comes with obedience. You, you see, a lot of things that God calls us to do or not to do are for our protection. Like, God is smarter than you. I know you think you're smart. And maybe you are, but God is smarter. And obeying him is for our good. Right? For our protection. Like, when God says to forgive those who hurt you, that's for your protection. Because he knows the poison that destroys your body and metastasizes everywhere from a bitter heart. 
And when God says, you know what, you got to die to yourself and put others first, that's for your protection. Because he knows the misery of living a selfish life. And when God says, sex is good, sex is awesome, sex is made for you to enjoy within the bounds of a covenant marriage between a man and woman, that's for your protection. That's for your protection. Listen, nobody gets to a wedding day and says, I wish I'd been with more people. God's trying to protect your heart. He's not trying to keep you from pleasure. He's trying to protect you from a broken heart. He's trying to protect you from leaving pieces of yourself somewhere that it's hard to get back. It's for your protection. And that's a reward. The words of obedience, I, I find them motivating. Being used by God, spinning that football, making that first down, right? Knowing him more, pleasing him, being confident in where I stand with God, and having God's blessings and favor pour out on me, I find motivating. Check out this final scripture, and then I'm going to pray. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel Lord commanded. And it's time for some folks in this room, probably all of us, to wake up. Wake up. And just do what God wants you to do. I mean, as we sing this song, if there's something in your life where you know you're not obeying God, he's a gracious God, he's a forgiving God, but he's a just God, right? You know, just say, you know what? I'm going to obey him and I'm going to do the right thing because it's what God wants, right? Wake up to the joy of obedience. God has a, a, a life of blessing and fulfillment for you and the road to that life is obedience. And it's a good thing. And it's an awesome thing. Would you pray with me? Father God, we love you so much. God, thank you for your mercy. We need it every day, every moment. Thank you for your grace. It is more than enough. And Father God, I just pray that right now, Lord, that we can see that obedience is just a great and awesome thing, that we, can, that we can know you more, that we can please you more, that we can be used by you more, that we can be more confident where we stand with you, God. That we can have your blessings, God. And yeah, it, it can cost us something. It can be inconvenient, and it can be embarrassing to us, God. And, and it's going to cost us, God, but help us, help me to see the worth of it. Thank you, Joseph. Lord, I, I, I look forward to the day I get to meet Joseph and thank him that, and get to talk to him because I, I don't even know what his voice sounds like, Lord. Hear him speak about what it was like to obey you and the blessings that came with it. In Jesus' name, amen.